Prologue, Part One of The Queen's Necklace. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gail Timmerman Vaughan. The Queen's Necklace by Alexandre Dumas. Translator Unknown. Prologue, Part One. The Predictions. An Old Nobleman and an Old Maitre d'Hôtel. It was the beginning of April, 1784, between twelve and one o'clock. Our old acquaintance, the Marshal de Richelieu, having with his own hands coloured his eyebrows with a perfumed dye, pushed away the mirror which was held to him by his valet, the successor of his faithful Raffet, and shaking his head in the manner peculiar to himself, Ah, said he, now I look myself. And rising from his self with juvenile vivacity, he commenced shaking off the powder which had fallen from his wig over his blue velvet coat. Then, after taking a turn or two up and down his room, called for his maitre d'hôtel. In five minutes, this personage made his appearance, elaborately dressed. The marshal turned towards him, and with a gravity befitting the occasion, said, Sir, I suppose you have prepared me a good dinner? Certainly, your grace. You have the list of my guests? I remember them perfectly, your grace. I have prepared a dinner for nine. There are two sorts of dinners, sir, said the marshal. True, your grace, but— the marshal interrupted him with a slightly impatient movement, although still dignified. Do you know, sir, that whenever I have heard the word but, and I have heard it many times in the course of eighty-eight years, it has been each time, I'm sorry to say, the harbinger of some folly. Your grace, in the first place, at what time do we dine? Your grace, the citizens dine at two, the bar at three, the nobility at four. And I, sir? Your Grace will dine today at five. Oh, at five. Yes, Your Grace, like the King. And why like the King? Because on the list of your guests is the name of a King. Not so, sir, you mistake. All my guests today are simple noblemen. Your Grace is surely jesting. The Count Haga, who is among the guests. Well, sir, the Count Haga is a King. I know no King so called. Your Grace must pardon me then, said the Maitre d'Hôtel, bowing but I believed, supposed. Your business, sir, is neither to believe nor suppose. Your business is to read, without command, the orders I give you. When I wish a thing to be known, I tell it. When I do not tell it, I wish it unknown. The maître d'hôtel bowed again more respectfully, perhaps, than he would have done to a reigning monarch. Therefore, sir, continued the old marshal, you will, as I have none but noblemen to dinner, let us dine at my usual hour, four o'clock. At this order the countenance of the maître d'hôtel became clouded, as if he had heard his sentence of death. He grew deadly pale, then recovering himself, with a courage of despair, he said, In any event, your grace cannot dine before five o'clock. Why so, sir? cried the marshal. Because it is utterly impossible. Sir, said the marshal with a haughty air, it is now, I believe, twenty years since you entered my service. Twenty-one years, a month, and two weeks. Well, sir, to these twenty-one years, a month, and two weeks, you will not add a day, nor an hour. You understand me, sir, he continued, biting his thin lips, and depressing his eyebrows. This evening you seek a new master. I do not choose that the word impossible should be pronounced in my house. I am too old now to begin to learn its meaning. The maître d'hôtel bowed a third time. This evening, he said, I shall have taken leave of your grace, but at least— up to the last moment my duty shall have been performed as it should be. 
and he made two steps towards the door. "'What do you call as it should be?' cried the marshal. "'Learn, sir, that to do it as it suits me is to do it as it should be. Now I wish to dine at four, and it does not suit me, when I wish to dine at four, to be obliged to wait till five. "'Your grace,' replied the maître d'hôtel gravely, "'I have served as butler to His Highness the Prince de Soubise, and as steward to His Eminence the Cardinal de Rouen. With the first, His Majesty, the late King of France, dined once a year. With the second, the Emperor of Austria dined once a month. I know, therefore, how a sovereign should be treated.' When he visited the Prince de Souy, Louis XV called himself in vain the Baron de Gonesse. At the house of Monsieur de Rouen, the Emperor Joseph was announced as the Count de Packenstein, but he was none the less Emperor. Today, Your Grace also receives a guest, who vainly calls himself Count Haga. Count Haga is still King of Sweden. I shall leave your service this evening, but Count Haga will have been treated like a king. But that, said the Marshal, is the very thing that I am tiring myself to death in forbidding. Count Haga wishes to preserve his incognito as strictly as possible. Well, do I see through your absurd vanity. It is not the crown that you honor, but yourself that you wish to glorify. I repeat again that I do not wish it imagined that I have a king here. What then does your grace take me for? It is not that I wish it known that there is a king here. Then in heaven's name do not be obstinate, but let us have dinner at four. But at four o'clock, your grace, what I am expecting will not have arrived. What are you expecting? A fish like Monsieur Vatel? Does your grace wish that I should tell you? On my faith, I am curious. Then, your grace, I wait for a bottle of wine. A bottle of wine? Explain yourself, sir. The thing begins to interest me. Listen, then, your grace. His Majesty, the King of Sweden, I beg pardon. The Count Haga, I should have said, drinks nothing but Tokay. Well... Am I so poor as to have no toque in my cellar? If so, I must dismiss my butler. Not so, your grace, on the contrary. You have about sixty bottles. Well, do you think Count Haga will drink sixty bottles with his dinner? No, your grace. But when Count Haga first visited France, when he was only Prince Royal, he dined with the late king, who had received twelve bottles of toque from the Emperor of Austria. You are aware that the toque of the finest vintages is reserved exclusively for the cellar of the emperor, and that kings themselves can only drink it when he pleases to send it to them. I know it. Then your grace, of these twelve bottles of which the prince royal drank, only two remain. One is in the cellar of his majesty Louis the Sixteenth, And the other? Ah, oh, your grace, said the maître d'hôtel, with a triumphant smile, for he felt that after the long battle he had been fighting, the moment of victory was at hand. The other one was stolen. By whom, then? by one of my friends, the late king's butler, who was under great obligations to me. Oh, and so he gave it to you? Certainly, your grace, said the maître d'hôtel with pride. And what did you do with it? I placed it carefully in my master's cellar. Your master? And who was your master at that time? His eminence, the cardinal de Rouen. Ah, mon Dieu, at Strasbourg? At Saverne. And you have sent to seek this bottle for me, cried the old marshal. For you, your grace replied the maître d'hôtel, in a tone which plainly said, ungrateful as you are. The Duc de Richelieu seized the hand of the old servant and cried, I beg pardon, you are the king of maître d'hôtel. And you would have dismissed me, he replied, with an indescribable shrug of his shoulders. Oh, I will pay you one hundred pistoles for this bottle of wine, and the expenses of its coming here will be another hundred, 
but you will grant that it is worth it. I will grant anything you please, and to begin from today, I double your salary. I seek no reward, your grace. I have but done my duty. And when will your courier arrive? Your grace may judge if I have lost time. On what day did I have my orders for the dinner? Why, three days ago, I believe. It takes a courier at his utmost speed, twenty-four hours to go, and the same to return. There still remain twenty-four hours, said the marshal. How have they been employed? Alas, your grace, they were lost. The idea only came to me the day after I received the list of your guests. Now calculate the time necessary for the negotiation, and you will perceive that in asking you to wait till five, I am only doing what I am absolutely obliged to do. The bottle has not yet arrived, then. No, your grace. Ah, sir, if your colleague at Saverne be as devoted to the Prince de Rouen as you are to me, and should refuse the bottle, as you would do in his place. I, your grace? Yes, you would not, I suppose, have given away such a bottle, had it belonged to me? I beg your pardon humbly, your grace, but had a friend, having a king to provide for, asked me for your best bottle of wine, he should have had it immediately. Oh, said the marshal with a grimace, it is only by helping others that we can expect help in our own need, your grace. Well, then, I suppose we may calculate that it will be given, but there is still another risk, if the bottle should be broken. Oh, your grace, who would break a bottle of wine of that value? Well, I trust not. What time, then, do you expect your courier? At four o'clock, precisely. Then why not dine at four? replied the marshal. Your grace, the wine must rest for an hour, and had it not been for an invention of my own, it would have required three days to recover itself. Beaten at all the points, the marshal gave way. Besides, continued the old servant, be sure, your grace, that your guests will not arrive before half-past four. And why not? Consider your grace, to begin with, Monsieur de Launay. He comes from the Bastille, and with the ice at present covering the streets of Paris. No, but he will leave after the prisoner's dinner, at twelve o'clock. Pardon me, your grace, but the dinner hour at the Bastille has been changed, since your grace was there. It is now one. Sir, you are learned on all points, pray go on. Madame de Barry comes from the Lucienne, one continued descent, and in this frost. That would not prevent her being punctual, since she is no longer a duke's favorite. She plays the queen only among barons. But let me tell you, sir, that I desire to have dinner early, on account of Monsieur de la Parousse, who sets off to-night and would not wish to be late. But, your grace, Monsieur de la Parousse is with the king, discussing geography and cosmography. He will not get away too early. It is possible. It is certain, your grace, and it will be the same with Monsieur de Favre, who is with the Count de Provence, talking, no doubt, of the new play by the Canon de Beaumarchais. You mean the marriage of Figaro? Yes, your grace. Why, you are quite literary also, it seems. In my leisure moments I read, your grace. We have, however, Monsieur de Condorcet, who, being a geometrician, should at least be punctual. Yes, but he will be deep in some calculation, from which he rouses himself. It will probably be at least half an hour too late. As for the Count Cagliostro, as he is a stranger and not well acquainted with the customs of Versailles, he will in all probability make us wait for him. Well, said the marshal, you have disposed of all my guests, except Monsieur de Tavernay, in a manner worthy of Homer, or of my poor Raffet. The maître d'hôtel bowed. I have not, said he, named Monsieur de Tavernay, because, being an old friend, he will probably be punctual. Good, and where do we dine? In the great dining-room, your grace. But we shall freeze there. 
It has been warmed for three days, Your Grace, and I believe you will find it perfectly comfortable. Very well, but there is a clock striking. Why, it is half past four, cried the marshal. Yes, Your Grace, and there is the courier entering the courtyard with my bottle of toquet. May I continue for another twenty years to be served in this manner, said the marshal, turning again to his looking-glass, while the maitre d'hôtel ran downstairs. Twenty years, said a laughing voice, interrupting the marshal in a survey of himself. Twenty years, my dear duke. I wish them you, but then I shall be sixty. I shall be very old. You, countess, cried the marshal, you are my first arrival, and, mon Dieu, you are looking as young and charming as ever. Duke, I am frozen. Come into the boudoir, then. Oh, tete-a-tete, marshal. Not so, replied a somewhat broken voice. Ah, tavernet, said the marshal and then whispering to the countess, Plague take him for disturbing us. Madame du Barry laughed, and they all entered the adjoining room. End of part one of the prologue.